Welcome to Daily Airs. You are listening to a recording provided for the use of the blind and print impaired. Materials or items read on Airs LA are the copyright property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. There's something new on Airs LA every day. I'm your host, Annette Bro, and every Monday, I review varying events that happen during This Week in History, brought to you from A&E Networks, The History Channel, and History.com. September 4. On this date in history, in the year 1951, President Truman makes his first transcontinental television broadcast. President Harry S. Truman's opening speech before a conference in San Francisco is broadcast across the nation, making the first time a television program was broadcast from coast to coast. The speech focused on Truman's acceptance of a treaty that officially ended America's post-World War II occupation of Japan. The broadcast, via then-state-of-the-art microwave technology, was picked up by 87 stations in 47 cities, according to CBS. In his remarks, Truman lauded the treaty as one that would help build a world in which the children of all nations can live together in peace. As communism was threatening to spread throughout Pacific Rim nations such as Korea and Vietnam, the U.S. recognized the need to create an ally in a strong, democratic Japan. Since the end of World War II in 1945, Japan had been occupied and closely monitored by the American military under the leadership of General Douglas MacArthur. By 1951, six years later, Truman considered the task of rebuilding Japan complete. Truman praised the Japanese people's willingness to go along with the plan and expressed his pride in having helped to rebuild Japan as a democracy. Gone was the old militaristic police state. In its place was a country with a new constitution, unions for protecting the rights of laborers, and voting rights for women, among many other positive changes. The Multilateral Treaty of Peace with Japan, as it was ultimately called, was ratified by the U.S. Congress on March 20, 1952. September 5. On this date in history, in the year 1958, Dr. Zhivago is published in the U.S. Boris Pasternak's romantic novel, Dr. Zhivago, is published in the United States. The book was banned in the Soviet Union, but still won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1958. Pasternak was born in Russia in 1890, and by the time of the Russian Revolution, was a well-known avant-garde poet. His work fell into disfavor during the 1920s and 1930s as a communist regime of Joseph Stalin imposed strict censorship on Russian art and literature. During this time, Pasternak eked out a living as a translator. In 1956, he completed the book that would make him a worldwide name. Dr. Zhivago was an epic love story set during the tumult of the Russian Revolution and World War I. The book infuriated Soviet officials, particularly Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev. The Soviets argued that the book romanticized the pre-revolution Russian upper class and degraded the peasants and workers who fought against the Tsarist regime. 
The official Soviet press refused to publish the book, and Pasternak found himself the target of unrelenting criticisms. Admirers of Pasternak's work, however, began secretly to smuggle the manuscript out of Russia piece by piece. By 1958, the book began to appear in numerous translations around the world, including an edition in the United States that appeared on September 5, 1958. The book was hailed as an instant classic, and Pasternak was awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1958. None of the acclaim for the book helped Pasternak, though. The Soviet government refused to allow him to accept the Nobel Prize, and he was banished from the Soviet Writers' Union. The latter action ended Pasternak's writing career. Pasternak died in May 1960 from a combination of cancer and heart disease. Dr. Zhivago refused to die with him, though. In 1965, it was made into a hit movie starring Omar Sharif as the title character. In 1987, as part of the Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev's democratic reforms, Pasternak, though dead for nearly 30 years, was readmitted to the Union, and his book was finally published in Russia. September 6. On this date in history, in the year 1915, the first tank is produced. A prototype tank, nicknamed Little Willie, rolls off the assembly line in England. Little Willie was far from an overnight success. It weighed 14 tons, got stuck in trenches, and crawled over rough terrain at only two miles per hour. However, improvements were made to the original prototype, and tanks eventually transformed military battlefields. The British developed the tank in response to the trench warfare of World War I. In 1914, a British army colonel named Ernest Swinton and William Hankey, secretary of the Committee for Imperial Defense, championed the idea of an armored vehicle with conveyor belt-like tracks over its wheels that could break through enemy lines and traverse difficult territory. The men appealed to British Navy Minister Winston Churchill, who believed in the concept of a land boat and organized a land ships committee to begin developing a prototype. To keep the project secret from enemies, production workers were reportedly told the vehicles they were building would be used to carry water on the battlefield. Alternate theories suggest the shells of the new vehicles resembled water tanks. Either way, the new vehicles were shipped in crates labeled Tank, and the name stuck. The first tank prototype, Little Willie, was unveiled in September 1915. Following its underwhelming performance, it was slow, became overheated, and couldn't cross trenches. A second prototype, known as Big Willie, was produced. By 1916, this armored vehicle was deemed ready for battle and made its debut at the First Battle of the Somme near Corselette, France, on September 15 of that year. Known as the Mark I, this first batch of tanks was hot, noisy, and unwieldy, and suffered mechanical malfunctions on the battlefield. Nevertheless, people realized the tank's potential. Further design improvements were made at the Battle of Cambrai. In November 1917, 400 Mark IVs proved much more successful than the Mark I, capturing 8,000 enemy troops and 100 guns. Tanks rapidly became an important military weapon. During World War II, 
they played a prominent role across numerous battlefields. September 7. On this date in history, in the year 1813, the United States is nicknamed Uncle Sam. The United States gets its nickname, Uncle Sam. The name is linked to Samuel Wilson, a meat packer from Troy, New York, who supplied barrels of beef to the United States Army during the War of 1812. Wilson stamped the barrels with U.S. for United States, but soldiers began referring to the grub as Uncle Sam's. The local newspaper picked up on the story, and Uncle Sam eventually gained widespread acceptance as the nickname for and personification of the U.S. federal government. In the late 1860s and 1870s, political cartoonist Thomas Nast began popularizing the image of Uncle Sam. Nast continued to evolve the image, eventually giving Sam the white beard and stars and stripes suits that are associated with the character today. The German-born Nast was also credited with creating the modern image of Santa Claus, as well as coming up with the donkey as a symbol for the Democratic Party and the elephant as a symbol for the Republicans. Nast also famously lampooned the corruption of New York City's Tammany Hall in his editorial cartoons and was, in part, responsible for the downfall of Tammany leader William Tweed, alongside former New York City Mayor Fiorello LaGuardia, who ran his platform on ending Tammany Hall and its corrupt practices. Perhaps the most famous image of Uncle Sam was created by artist James Montgomery Flagg, in Flagg's version, Uncle Sam wears a tall top hat and blue jacket and is pointing straight ahead at the viewer. During World War I, this portrait of Sam, with the words, I want you for the U.S. Army, was used as a recruiting poster. The image, which became immensely popular, was first used on the cover of Leslie's Weekly in July 1916 with the title, What Are You Doing for Preparedness? The poster was widely distributed and has subsequently been reused numerous times with different captions. In September 1961, the U.S. Congress recognized Samuel Wilson as the progenitor of America's national symbol of Uncle Sam. Wilson died at age 87 in 1854 and was buried next to his wife, Betsy Mann, in the Oakwood Cemetery in Troy, New York, the town that calls itself the home of Uncle Sam. September 8. On this date in history, in the year 1965, the Delano Grape Strike begins. September 8, 1965, marks the beginning of one of the most important strikes in American history, as over 2,000 Filipino-American farm workers refused to go to work picking grapes in the valley north of Bakersfield, California, they set into motion a chain of events that would extend over the next five years. We know it as the Delano Grape Strike. Filipino and Mexican immigrants had worked for decades along the West Coast, moving with the seasons to harvest the region's crops. The Filipino contingent in particular was growing restless as many of the workers were aging and anxious for decent medical care and retirement funds. When one of their members, labor organizer Larry Itliong, declared a strike on September 8, he asked for the support of the National Farm Workers Association and its Mexican-American founders, Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta. 
Although Chavez had reservations about his union's capacity to pull off the strike, he put the issue to the workers, who enthusiastically joined. The strike lasted five years and went through a number of phases. From the outset, the already poor farm workers faced opposition from law enforcement and cruel attempts at sabotage by the growers. Some reported that farmers shut off the water supply to their meager dormitories. As frustration grew and workers increasingly spoke of violence three years into the strike, Chavez decided to go on a hunger strike, emulating his hero, Mahatma Gandhi. In addition to ending the calls for violence, the hunger strike drew further attention to the movement, earning praise from figures like Martin Luther King Jr. and Senator Robert F. Kennedy. The union, by then known as the United Farm Workers, also called for a boycott of table grapes. Individual households stopped buying grapes, and union workers in California dockyards let non-union grapes rot in port rather than load them. Eventually, the industry could take no more, and the growers came to the table. In July of 1970, most of the major growers in the Delano area agreed to pay grape pickers $1.80 an hour, plus $0.20 cents for each box picked, contribute to the union health plan, and ensure that their workers were protected against pesticides used in the fields. We said from the beginning that we were not going to abandon the fight, that we would stay in the struggle if it took a lifetime, and we meant it, Chavez said of the grueling strike. Soon all grapes would be sweet grapes again. September 9. On this date in history, in the year 1850, California becomes the 31st state in record time. Though it had only been a part of the United States for less than two years, California becomes the 31st state in the Union without ever even having been a territory. Mexico had reluctantly ceded California and much of its northern territory to the United States in 1848 Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. When the Mexican diplomats signed the treaty, they pictured California as a region of sleepy mission towns with a tiny population of about 7,300, not a devastating loss to the Mexican Empire. Their regret might have been much sharper had they known that gold had been discovered at Sutter's Mill in Coloma, California, nine days before they signed the peace treaty. Suddenly, the greatest gold rush in history was on, and 49ers began flooding into California, chasing after the fist-sized gold nuggets rumored to be strewn about the ground just waiting to be picked up. California's population and wealth skyrocketed. Most newly acquired regions of the U.S. went through long periods as territories before they had the 60,000 inhabitants needed to achieve statehood. And prior to the gold rush, immigration to California had been so slow that it would have been decades before the population reached that number. But with gold fever reaching epidemic proportions around the world, more than 60,000 people from around the globe came to California in 1949 alone. Faced with such rapid growth, as well as thorny congressional debate over the question of slavery in the new territories, Congress allowed California to jump straight to full statehood without ever passing through the formal territorial stage. After a rancorous debate between the slave state and free soil advocates, 
Congress finally accepted California as a free labor state under the Compromise of 1850, beginning the state's long reign as the most powerful economic and political force in the far west. September 10. On this date in history, in the year 1608, John Smith is elected to lead Jamestown. English adventurer John Smith is elected council president of Jamestown, Virginia, the first permanent English settlement in North America. Smith, a colorful figure, had won popularity in the colony because of his organizational abilities and effectiveness in dealing with local Native American groups. In May 1607, about 100 English colonists settled along the James River in Virginia to found Jamestown. The settlers fared badly because of famine, disease, and Indian attacks, but were aided by the 27-year-old John Smith, who directed survival efforts and mapped the area. While exploring the Chickahominy River in December 1607, Smith and two colonists were captured by Powhatan warriors. At the time, the Powhatan Indian Confederacy consisted of around 30 Tidewater area tribes led by Chief Wahunsonacock, known as Chief Powhatan to the English. Smith's companions were killed, but he was spared and released, according to a 1624 account by Smith, because of the dramatic intercession of Pocahontas, Chief Powhatan's 13-year-old daughter. In 1608, Smith became president of the Jamestown colony, but the settlement continued to suffer. An accidental fire destroyed much of the town, and hunger, disease, and Indian attacks continued. During this time, Pocahontas often came to Jamestown as an emissary of her father, sometimes bearing gifts of food to help the hard-pressed settlers. She befriended the settlers and became acquainted with English ways. In 1609, Smith was injured from a fire in his gunpowder bag and was forced to return to England. John Smith returned to the New World in 1614 to explore the New England coast, from Penobscot Bay to Cape Cod. That April, Pocahontas married the English planter John Rolfe in Jamestown. On another voyage of exploration in 1615, Smith was captured by pirates, but escaped after three months of captivity. He then returned to England, where he died in 1631. And that wraps up our This Week in History podcast for September 4 through September 10. If you'd like to learn more about Airs LA, including streaming audio, podcasts, and more, we invite you to connect or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook social media platforms. This podcast is for the sole use of our blind and print-impaired audience. Any unauthorized use is prohibited. I'm Annette Rowe, and I'll return next week to bring you more events that happen during Next Week in History. Until then, thanks for listening.